You're listening to The Hoof of the Horse, a podcast dedicated to farriery and equine science with Dr. Simon Curtis. This podcast is sponsored by Hoofcare Essentials Foundation partner, Manric Incorporated. I'm in the Hunter Valley uh, to speak at the Equine Podiatry and Lameness Centre Vet Farrier Conference. And while I'm here, I'm taking the opportunity to speak with Wayne Bowman, or I should say Wayne Link Bowman, that's it. better known. And, um, and that's one of the things we're going to explore. But anyway, welcome to the podcast, Wayne. Thanks very much. All right, tell us something about the Hunter Valley, will you, please? Well, the Hunter Valley intrigued me a lot of years ago. I travelled through here. I was working on a big thoroughbred stud down in um, the south of New South Wales and um, travelled through with the wife on holidays. And uh, I knew of Billy Neville up here and I was down there uh, doing shoeing at a stud and, and doing a bit of horse handling while I was there. I got involved with the Farriers and Blacksmiths Association at that time. And um, because I've, I'm a Queenslander, I'd shod started shoeing when I was 14, um, shot my first horse at our high school when I was 14. And um, when I traveled through here, uh, I knew Billy Neville was here. So the first lot of sales I went to for that farm, met his son Spook, um, got involved with the, uh, the Blacksmiths Association, um, come up on a regular basis and work with Billy and Spook, and um, eventually moved into the valley back in 91, uh, February 91 working as a relief farrier for Billy's boys so they could go on holidays. And um, because I come out of Queensland, there wasn't a trade school when I was uh, started. I was uh, quite interested in getting my trade certificate. So I went in as a mature student and got me qualifications. But I'd been shown and uh, from an early age and I've given it a, had given it away a few times, you know, how you sort of get lost in it and then come back to it. and. So when I come back to the shoeing in 91, I decided um, I wasn't going to leave at this time. I was going to do the trade. And, um, and now the trade has got a more uniformed apprenticeship Australia-wide. So um, for the younger fellas, it's a lot better for them now. Is it, is it Australia-wide the same standards? I know there's the level three, is there? Or? Yeah, they just bought out a Cert 4, what they call a Cert 4. Is when I actually finished my trade and because uh, I was a mature student and, and I'd competed a lot in all over the world and um, the ferry comp so I ended up going teaching the apprentices and um, the curriculum's the same Australia wide but uh, and the modules are the same but each individual TAFE yeah. the secondary education colleges um, do it a bit different each day. You better tell us what TAFE stands for. It, we call it TAFE, but it's just further education for... Yeah, but I think that it's, it's obviously a, an acronym. Is it trade and further... Maybe that's what it is, trade and further education. Yeah. T-A-F-E. Yeah. Well, there yeah. you go. So it's... Um, and we just uh, always call it TAFE, and, and, but it's a s- secondary college between university and, and the secondary high school. So mm. you can get diplomas there. And, um, and we get our what we call Cert 3 back in the day and we got a accreditation from the state government so we're accredited tradespersons. Yeah. Yeah. So although you said you started at 14, what made you want to become a farrier? Um, our family had um, performance horses and race horses and we used to get a farrier there, uh, would come and shoe and, 
and, and he was a he was actually Scottish, and his name's Tom Affleck, and he's still shooing at, at this stage. And he used to come to home, so when he come, he always had heaps to do there. So I used to jump in and help him. Enjoyed it. Yeah. And I remember one time we had uh, three or four going to the races back in them days. Um, we used to use a Sidco plate. They were they looked like they were made out of strips of aluminium off a sliding window. They were that narrow. <laughs> and so he'd come and knock these plates on and this day I'd got the three horses out, pulled all the shoes off and he never showed up. There was no telephones back in them days. He'd had a breakdown and then uh, my dad said, hell, we've got to, these horses got to be played up, they're racing on the weekend. So I plated them up and kept shooting ever since. There we go. Yeah. Amazing. That yeah. probably wouldn't happen today, although maybe further out in the outback in Australia. Yeah, and then yeah. Um, uh, um, the funny thing <coughs> is uh, there, was a, there was a horse at our high school um, got sore footed and, and I shot it for the agricultural teacher because the horse was sore obviously in school and then he thought uh, what a great idea to load a few of us boys up and go out to Gatton yeah. Aid College and because they had a blacksmith back them days the college had a lot of heavy horses and that back mm. in the day and furthered a bit more my education and then I actually got with that our farrier later on and at the time that Tom Affleck and spent some time with him and embedded myself and then eventually bought an anvil and some gear and then my mum used to drive me around so I could earn a few dollars and I'd show a few horses around the district. Yeah. I've done podcasts with a few farriers who started at 14 but the first one that had his mum driving him around <laughs> to jobs, that's great. Now of course I've got to ask you where did you get the, get the nickname Link from? Well, it was when I come to the Hunter Valley, I'm quite a big fella and um, fairly fit in the day then, and um, was working for Billy and Spook, and Spook, everybody had a nickname and Billy's crew. But I, had, I took my shirt off one day, and, and when they seen me, I'm a very hairy person underneath, and they said, you're the missing link for, between ape and man and it's stuck with me ever since. <laughs> I had half a suspicion that's what it was, but I didn't want to suggest it, I was rather, you told me. Anyway, so you're quite happy with that nickname. Yeah. Well, of course well, you are, because... Well, it... actually, everybody knows me a link, and I remember we had a client years ago had never met my wife, and, um, and, and uh, she'd run into this client at a show, at a horse show, and she was talking about Wayne Bowman, and this client, you know, Chris had never met him yeah. before, was always on the phone, and she'd never heard of him. Her, he might have a relation called Link Bone, but we're the same person, you know. Yeah. So it was, there's only two people calling me Wayne, and that's Chris if, if I'm in, in, um, in trouble or me mum. Yeah, yeah, that would be it. Yeah. Okay, so tell me something about you. You got yourself established here, but tell me how the Equine Podiatry and Lameness Centre came about. Well, um, I started shooting at this clinic in 91, and then uh, there was a vet come here in 94, he worked for a, a vet called John Greathead and this American chap, he'd married an Australian woman and he'd come here and his name was Terry Hicks and he'd done his vet degree at Texas, Texas A&M. And uh, he, he'd done a mixed horse practice here. He, um, he obviously had vets working here, what done cattle and small animals, but he strictly done. And he uh, had done a bit of, a fair bit of work in Kentucky, done a bit of locum work for Redden. He was interested in performance and lameness and um, I just felt that there was a void, a void there for them horses what had issues. There was nowhere for people to go. And, and um, so we started and we actually set it up in August of 96. 
uh, had a had an open day here and launched the Hunter Valley Podiatry and Lama Centre, it was called. Okay. And, and what are the sort of typical problems? Because you've been here ever since. Yeah. And what are the sort of typical problems we, that you would see here? We see uh, predominantly do a lot of <coughs> laminatics, which are a lot of chronics and acutes. Um, but nowadays, because the performance horse industry has got so massive, that we get a lot of referrals. Uh, it's turned into a pretty big referral centre from other farriers and vets. And we just see um, a lot of me foot mechanical issues, which lead into secondary problems with lameness, and that's where Joe, the vet, comes into play. Oh, you're still keeping the vets, giving them some work then? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's good of you. Okay, well, you just mentioned about referrals, but how do you manage relationships with, with local farriers? Because that's always a problem for referral centres, isn't it? Yeah, and one thing I have done here, because I do go on to a lot of farms where I've got um, resident farriers on farm, um, you've got to be careful. Uh, lucky, a lot of them are younger than me, um, so I've actually taught them or I knew their bosses and we had a fair bit to do with them. And because we've got a farrier shop here, we've got a farrier supply shop here, a lot of them come on a daily basis and get uh, product and um, get their supplies. So they're always popping in asking, um, you know, we've got a horse doing this, I've got a horse doing that. Uh, a lot of them actually ask if you've got time, can you come out and have a look at a mare or a stallion? Um, and I've never seen an area with such a good relationship with farriers as this. Um, it was when I first come here. It was a bit toxic, but it's changed over the years, and a lot of farriers um, haven't got a problem. Always, never drive onto a farm unless I ring. Yeah. Um, if I get a call um, and look at that mare, uh, and I've been looking after it for six to twelve months, I still call the farm farrier. I'm coming by today. I'm looking at that mare again. Do you want to drop up there with me? A lot of them are busy, so no, we're, you're right. Thanks for ringing. So you've got to respect that they're still yeah. their farm and we're just coming in to do a referral job on that one horse. And when it's fixed, it gets handed back, Yeah, yeah. I mean... Because what happens if you don't do that? Yeah, and... You end well, up with too many horses. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then we're always looking for an opportunity to hand it <coughs> back as soon as we can. Um, okay, so I've come here, hopefully at the end of the longest drought you've had, because I brought the rain with me, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. Um, but did... So it was really burnt off and you've had very little rain for a year, have you? Yeah. So what has, have you seen any changes to the hooves? Yeah, I have. I mean, got, uh, get a lot more hoof capsule contraction. And, and over the last couple of days while you've been here, you hear me um, talk about rehydrating feet. Yeah. And it's the, worst, it's the worst I've seen as far as how many lameness in Joe and I have seen come through the door, a lot more than normal. And a lot of it is, like I said to you before, We've fixed a lot of them by just rehydrating their feet. The farriers have got them shod nicely. They're mechanically set up right. And all we've actually done is rehydrated them for three or four days. And the clients have hung up and said the horse is a lot better. All right, the first thing is for you to describe to me what a dehydrated hoof looks like. And then what technique do you use for rehydrating them? Well, at the, at the start, when it started out, it didn't go as wide as this. It started out with our laminetics, uh, put them in deep bedding. Um, we would, um, you know, sometimes we'd say a foot, a foot when it was really moist, we'd have to dry it out and we'd put a torch on it. Uh, then when them 
we started x-raying a lot of laminetics and when them feet get in, in deep sawdust boxes and um, start, and straw's bad for it, we'll suck the moisture out of them. We started to notice that we started to lose a massive amount of hoof mass. Where's it gone? We haven't shot it. What's happened to it? And the, the drier the hoof capsule got, the more increased pulse we got. So um, there was another vet working here called Luke Well Smith. He's a farrier vet fellow, was here for four or five years. Um, we started doing some venograms and Redden helped us with this, that um, when the hoof capsule are really dry, we've noticed that the perfusion in that hoof capsule so was less. So even constricting the, yeah. the blood supply. So it was, um, and then we done two weeks of um, rehydrating okay. hoof capsule. How do you do that? And we started out by just getting a chucks cloth or a nappy and wetting it yeah. and and, and, and the plaster on the foot and then we had the nurses here just irrigate that each day. And then we come across a, like a bell boot, which a lot of show jumpers and eventers use. And um, these people lined it with a heavy lining of felt so you could soak it in the bucket. And the quickest way we found to rehydrate a foot was through the coronary van. Um, found it a lot quicker doing that than putting it on the bottom of the foot. Yeah. Um, it went down through the, <coughs> round through the coronary van, run down through the coronary van across the top of the hoof capsule because it wasn't water, it didn't sort of turn that hoof capsule into anything mushy or anything. And um, because they were just damp, they weren't, okay. weren't saturated like a bucket of water. And we just found that we hydrated a hoof capsule quicker. So we started the x-ray uh, trial up again and noticed that we could expand the foot really quick again and found the decreased pulse, horse was sounder. And then and a, good, a good method was found with a lot of farriers know that the shoe size will change when they yeah. dry out, shrink down. And another thing what's a great um, thing to keep an eye on is when you nail the horse up. Like horses, when that foot gets really shrunken down, that horse is constantly slightly pulling on you, done like that sensation. Yeah. When the horse's hide, foot's hydrated, the horse will, the elasticity in the white line's a lot better, hoof capsule, and you don't get that sort of horse you know, refusing to stand there comfortably. See, I hadn't really heard of this, and I, I like to think I keep my finger on the button, so you need to promote this more widely. I know I know, specifically here in Australia you're going to have a problem, but there's a lot of dry parts of the world, and uh, I'm sure it would help them. Yeah, well, the thing is here, it was a really frustrating, it was really <coughs> frustrating for chronic laminetics when they dry up how sore they become. Yeah. Now I've got horses that are chronic laminetics, shod normal, just with a normal flat shoe. If they keep them water booted, they're living in a paddock and it's still dry obviously. Yeah. They're quite comfortable, but if I let them dry out, they've got to go back on the butte. So that in itself is enough to tell me that horses need some sort of hydration in that hoof capture what's compromised. Yeah. yeah. And I think a normal footed horse would be compromised um, as well as, um, as you know, for the feet dry out excessively. Okay. Uh, so that's something for everybody to look at, I think, that, that listens to this podcast. So what other new developments, uh, you know, have you noticed? Because you've been here at this clinic and you're obviously confronted by different problems. You must always be searching for new developments in shoeing, new developments in products. Yeah. Um lucky to be involved with the Sigifus thing and, and since the inception back in the 
late 90s and then uh, been lucky to be involved with former Hoof at the early stages, like 10 or 12 years ago, was a bloke called Robert Stevenson. No, I've done a podcast with him. Yeah, well, Robert Stevenson, um, he, was in, he was in America with another young fellow called Johnny Burns and they went to, they rung me up and I knew of them as kids and they rung me up and said, I need to go, we want to go to a shoeing school, they're over there on farm stays. Learn, um, working on ranches, yeah. and I said, "Well, go down to down to um, to um, Kentucky to Shelbyville at the time when Mitch Taylor had his shoeing school there." I said, "Do you do your um, your um, um, six or eight three months, six or eight weeks or three months mm-hmm. shoeing school? Come home, and then um, I said to Robert Stevenson, uh, he was the fellow I wanted to have as apprentice, but when they come home, Robert had." Um, taken another avenue, wanted to stay in Queensland, so I took Johnny Burns on as apprentice, and he, he was the only apprentice I ever had that finished his four years, because I was a pretty tough man on him. And at that time of my career, I shot up and down the East Coast, all up and down the East Coast, I went from major events to the next major event. So I'd be away at two weeks at a time, and I'd come back and film me trailer up. So he was the only apprentice I'd ever done four years with me, um, and he's turned out to be an um, awesome tradesman. And then Robert Stevenson um, done his time, started his time up with Jamesy up in Queensland and ended up being a good tradesman. And I was at uh, Dali at the time uh, when they had a breeding farm in Dubai. Yeah. And um, Johnny Sutherland, <laughs> who was the boss man at Dali at Kelvinside Aberdeen, wanted a, a ferry to go over and do the stud work, so I'd organised Robert Stevenson. Um, so he went over and started there, and he was over there, and um, when they shut the breeding farm down, they moved him on to Dubai Racing, and he'd do a season in so many barns, and then he'd end up on the Arabs, and he got into the um, research centre there, and, and because he was always, him and I always throwing ideas around. I took a couple of patent shoes that I designed for Foles to America, uh, uh, approached Mustard and approached uh, Sigifus. Um, I've got him designed and his brother's a design engineer. We made him into 3D because there's no, the thing I'm, I'm still passionate about, and I know they make a Delric and we use glue, but there's no therapeutic shoe for a foal all the way up to a older horse. We Most farriers, we've got to manufacture it and the ones yeah. they have got, need to be superseded but every roadblock I come into when I design that shoe was what's the um, market yeah the size of the market well I said well it can be anything you want because there's no shoe for young horses and in this day and age we're getting to um, to the where horses are worth more money then people invest in big money in them that we need to work on these therapeutic shoes or just shoes for babies from foals right up till they can take a age, like they're an aged horse as a two-year-old. So, but I still run into that. A lot of people said, great idea, we wouldn't invest in it. So I shelved it, and every few years, I'd bring it out, spend another 10 or 15 grand of my own money. Um, and then Robert was, he said, I'll have a crack at that. So that's how he, we spoke about things, and that's how he started with the former hoof, and we've been messing around with it. But in, as you know, um, the, it's one of the best concepts I've ever seen. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But there's only, I mean, 
In Australia, because it's so harsh out here weather-wise, is that the reliability of product is what lets the concept down. Yeah. So, but it's still something I form off something I use every day. The full, the full. Uh, former hoof design is what we first went with so yeah. the one I give it to Robert I didn't I said mate if you can get this up and running yeah. this is and so it's I've still got the shoe that I that I first designed comes the shapes that we've cha- we've tweaked the mold a few times but I just hope over the next 20 years that we come up with a product what's going to be and it will get there yeah. I think you'll, Robert will get there if they get former hoof come up with a product what is um, a bit more reliable and but it, um, it's one of them things like when I first done the Seagifus, yeah. I had failures in that. But look at how consistent. But once you learn how to get around them failures, what they can do, that all these products have got a place. Yeah. Uh, well, that's great. And as I say, we share something. I didn't know you were right there at the beginning of the four move. Yeah. But <clears throat> this, this summer I've put on just two full-size shoes and about 10 extensions. So I've yeah. already been trying out because... Um, because uh, they came over to meet me and, and, and it made quite a big impact. Now, you don't live here, do you? Not anymore. I used to live here for 20-something years and we we wanted to uh, breed and we, we breed cutting horses and yeah. we wanted to um, increase our um, our commitment to that as well. So yeah. um, my wife does a great job running our, our quarter horse stud and we moved about an hour and a quarter away. It works superbly because I know it's a lot of driving each day, but when I lived here, um, the farms were just constantly at me. Okay. It was Saturdays, Sundays, midnight. So uh, this way I can get away still. Of a morning I drive down with no radio on, have a bit of quiet time. Of an afternoon I've got that hour and a quarter, have all my phone calls done of an afternoon. So when I get home I can relax and ride a few horses and catch up. Well, that, that explains it because I did think there's a lot of farriers move close to their work, so yeah. they don't have so much driving. And I know yesterday you had to drive off home and back, and yeah, and I just wondered about it. Something I can't remember is when did we first meet? Can you remember? Well, it was either I think it was either in Louisville, um, in I, I can't say if it was '94 or '96. Um, if it was '94. It would have been the Bluegrass Symposium when Pollock gave his first blockbuster speeches there. And just on that, because um, I was staying at Redden's at the time, because I go over there most years and hang out with him, is that uh, we got to do the first venogram on a live horse. We'd cut, um, he had a Tennessee walking off two club feet. And um, we got to do what we, we um, were driving home and there were two like crazy scientists talking about one if we could do, they'd done the, like a venogram on a dead foot and all that sort of thing. And um, so they drove home after all them days at the lectures. Yeah. We got home, I don't know what time it was, some ridiculous time in the morning from Louisville to Kentucky. And the first thing they had done was, was um, get this horse in and we venogrammed it that night. So I took photos with one of them portable cameras and, and they're the only photos of the first venogram so I remember Amy Rucker, the doctor Amy Rucker was asking me about it because Doc when he went to write his book had lost the time about when he'd yeah. done it so <laughs> I've still got them photos 
So I just feel privileged that I was with two crazy blokes yeah. when they done the first venogram and 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 been and me and Dr Hicks had been doing them. And that was ninety four. That was in ninety four. So I think it was ninety six because I've seen Chris Pollitt lecture a lot, but I didn't see him at that. First event. So one, I yeah. must have been ninety six that we yeah. met. But that's yeah. What is it? Twenty three years ago. Yeah. And I know there used to be quite a few of the Australian boys used to come. Yeah. yeah. At times there was a yeah. bunch of you. Yeah. Yeah. Which um. Yeah, I used to have a job keeping up with the drinking and the partying. Yeah, well, they used to go hard. <coughs> yeah. But I never let my country down. <laughs> I, I'd always have to lay up with you. So, anyway, that's, that's great times. Now, you, you've mentioned cutting horses. I know you have a passion because we were on a stud farm two days ago and there was a young guy there and you were giving him a lot of tips, weren't you? Yeah. You couldn't help yourself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he asked you, but yeah. you... I could see that you weren't going to get away until you... Yeah. So you've got a passion for cutting horses, haven't you? Yeah, I've won some big major events here. Of, um, I um, do professionally train a few for a few outside clients and ourselves. The main thing is we I train for a few great clients we've had for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. Uh, it's not a super commercial, but our sale horses are very commercial. We've um, had some big successes. Um, you know, some of our broodmares are the leading broodmare in the country and... We've got a lot of um, genetics from the USA and got great relationships with some big trainers and breeders in the USA. So it and it and it's uh it's one of the businesses alongside the shoeing business that yeah. um, keeps like um, our D Bar Enterprises going. So it earns as much money as as a shoeing business. So I, I try to share it evenly, but the wife um, does the most work there. Okay. Well, I don't know how you keep up with it all, actually, Link. But so I'm going to ask you what I call the deep philosophical question. And that is, what is the most important thing that you've learned in your life? Well, the most important thing um, I've learned in my life is, um, is to be honest to yourself. Yeah. And, um, and the thing that I um, really believe that the best people in the world are givers, mm -hmm. even though sometimes I don't return the favor. And, and the proper givers, if they get stood on, they keep giving. So I just think that if you're honest with yourself and um, and you keep giving information and good support to people, you'll come out a winner. Well, that's a great philosophy of life, Link. Um, look, Link, we have got to get back to this conference because you're running it and yeah. I'm supposed to be part of it. And we've come and hidden in this soundproof room and uh, to do this podcast, but we've got, I think, some horses coming in and we haven't even grabbed any lunch yet, have we? So, no. So we'll thank you so much not a problem. for this podcast. It's been brilliant. Thank you. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more information at hoofcareessentials.com. You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com. Thanks for listening.